0: I talk a lot about on this podcast analyzing your own jazz playing, listening back to recordings of yourself, and really analyzing and digging in to what you can work on and what you can do better. And one thing to do is to listen to a jazz solo that you've played that you really are proud of, one that you really think defines what you're going after musically, and also listening to one that you feel a little bit disappointed with, maybe even slightly embarrassed to show to others. And that's exactly what I'm going to do in today's episode. I'm going to show you a jazz solo that I'm proud of, and a jazz solo I kind of don't want anyone to listen to. All right, that's coming right up. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Brent Bartstra. Hey, 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 everybody. Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast. And videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. I am so excited to be here today. As always, thank you for being here. You are the reason I do what I do. And I just got back from a two week vacation. I'm feeling rejuvenated. I'm feeling energized. My batteries have been charged, and I am excited to help you. I'm excited to create great, valuable content for you, help you with your jazz playing. And uh, yeah, this is good stuff. I'm really excited and like I said in the intro today I'm gonna to be listening and analyzing uh, a jazz solo that I'm proud of that I like that I feel like is going after what I'm trying to get after and a jazz solo that quite frankly I'm a little bit embarrassed to show you today however I I think it's important that I'm open and vulnerable with you so that I can show you what I think for me is a good jazz solo and what I think is one that could use a little bit of work. And this is something that we should all be doing. I've done this kind of stuff in other podcast episodes. We've had guests on that also have talked about recording yourself and listening back. So all of this is important. I know you're going to get a lot out of today's episode. Now, before I go into all of that today, I'm really excited because next week we are starting Jazz blue. Blues month here on the podcast, Jazz Blues Month, where we're really going to be focusing on a jazz blues. We're going to be talking about why jazz having a jazz blues down, forwards, backwards, frontwards, and having that language together is super important, and how you can really practice jazz blues in a way that is really going to help you master it, which will in turn help you really master a lot of other jazz language and jazz standards out there. This is coming upon my new jazz blues course release that's coming out in early October called the Jazz Blues Accelerator. It's a great program. I'm amped up about it. The team has been working hard on it. This is one of those programs, one of those courses that I believe is going to be hugely transformational for everyone who takes it. The Jazz Blues Accelerator, really excited about that. So uh, we're going to be going and diving into that next week. So I just want to get that in your head, get yourself ready for some blues and uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you're not missing out on any of that. All right, a lot of talking, but let's get straight into today's content. Now, before we dig into those jazz solos that I'm both excited to show you and embarrassed to show you, let's talk about what I think makes up a great jazz solo in the first place. Okay, first, number one, a good jazz solo has an arc to it. It has a building movement to it, a storytelling element. So when I'm playing a jazz solo, what I like to hear is I like to hear something develop and grow. That doesn't necessarily mean that it starts low and then goes up higher. It could start up big and go go anywhere you want it to, but there has to be some sort of element of story to it. And we've talked about motific development on the past the show, using themes and variations, calls and response. All these things, to me, make a great jazz solo. Okay, number two, the number two thing that I think makes a great jazz solo is great time feel in technical proficiency. So when I'm listening back to myself playing, I want to hear that I'm in the pocket. I want to hear that I'm able to flow over top of the time flow over top of the changes seamlessly. And you can always tell when you're rushing or you're dragging and you're feeling uncomfortable. So I want to hear that. I also want to hear that I'm uh, rhythmically accurate, that I'm able to navigate my instrument well. And you can always hear these things. You'll hear when you're uncomfortable because you'll make little stumbles here or there. And you know everybody does that, that's natural. But when I hear a great jazz solo, I want to make it feel like it's relaxed. And if I hear that it's relaxed, it's going to be uh, something that I feel is Deeming when I listen back to it. And number three, last but not least, I want to hear harmonic maturity. Harmonic maturity. And what I mean by harmonic maturity is I want to hear that I'm outlining the chord changes with confidence. I want to hear that if I took away all of my accompaniment, if I took away the bass, the drums, you know, the piano player or whatever, that I'm able to hear the chord changes going by. I'm able to hear a command over the language that I'm trying to play. Uh, And there are times where uh, maybe if there's, and you'll hear this in in the solo that I'm not that proud of, where if the chord changes are a little bit too complicated and I don't really have a good grasp on them, that's going to sound like I'm not uh, harmonically mature, that I really don't have a grasp on how to navigate those changes. Okay, So number one is storytelling element and growth and development. Number two is time feel and technical technical proficiency number 3 is harmonic maturity okay so with keeping that all in mind, I want you to think about that in your own solos, and that's what I'm really judging my solos off of today. So let's start with the good news first. I'm going to go to a recording of a demo that I did with a singer years ago. It's, a, it's me, a, uh, which I'm a guitar player, if you didn't know that, a singer and a bass player, and years and years ago, we made this demo recording because we were playing gigs around New York City as a trio. So uh, with that context in mind, I'll go ahead and play from the very... Beginning, it's a jazz standard. I can't give you anything but love. Uh, we'll go through my solo and then uh, we'll also go through the bass solo and then we'll stop it right there. and I'll talk a little bit about what I liked about it, including my comping during the bass solo. Okay, so let's listen to that.
1: I can give you anything but love.
0: Starts out just with the bass and Baby, the singer on this one.
1: That's the only-
0: Um, yes, so what did I like about my solo so much? This solo, in in my opinion, is really in my wheelhouse. This sort of uh, is a good definition of the kind of playing that I try to go for. And what's in my wheelhouse, in my opinion, is uh, lyrical playing, um, playing that really gets to the point, and playing that really uh, sits uh, in the right place and so what I mean by that is I'm not necessarily someone who um, you know will blow massively fast lines and changes I mean I certainly can do that uh, but that's not really my my strong suit that's not really my superpower if you will. I think that I'm really good at just playing great straight ahead lines in the pocket and just outlining the changes and really just giving what the music needs what the music needs and that's what I felt like I did with this solo you know it started out uh, and it built there was some movement to it there was some repeated ideas which I really liked in there you know there was actual movement in the solo uh, of course I used my guitar uh, you know uh, playing chords and building and playing chord melody stuff in there to build some tension and you know, of course every instrument has their own ways of building tension but I I was using the guitar, playing chords, building up that stuff. There, you'll notice I played more of a triplety, longer flowing line, um, kind of more near the end of the solo. And you know that that's some restraint there. You know, sometimes people are really ready to just get out of the gate and start playing fast lines and playing too many notes and all these things. Well, I felt like that was very appropriately placed. It felt good to me. Now, this is a, a singer trio, and I thought for what this was, this is really appropriate, the appropriate amount of energy. uh, It was the appropriate amount of, you know, making sure that we're highlighting the singer. Because at the end of the day, when you're playing with a singer, the singer is really the star of the show, in my opinion, and everybody else is there to support. And um, I also liked my comping in there. I mean, everything was uh, rhythmically played, everything Uh, Was supporting what the singer was doing. It wasn't stepping in the way of the singer. Uh, As far as the bass solo, I chose because we don't have a drummer to go the four on the floor, Freddie Green style, and, you know, really support the bassist there, not get into his register too much. So I felt like that was solid and I was serving the music there and I was, you know, technically proficient. I was, you know, hitting the ideas correct. Maybe there's a few times where I was rushing a little bit. But in general, that's a solo that I think sounded good that I was happy with. Okay. So that kind of ticks off all three of the boxes for me. I'm not going to say it was the most life-changing solo. Um, I've probably played better solos before, but it really does the job well. And I can feel proud of that one at the end of the day. Okay. Now let's move on to uh, a solo that yeah, I might be a little embarrassed to show. I try to avoid playing this one. I recorded this back in my college days. Um, just a demo recording. Uh, the, it was just uh, someone in the, in the recording department, uh, the you know, music engineering department. He was trying, he needed a project done. And so he offered to do a demo. And so we recorded a song of mine called Capitol Hill, uh, which refers actually to a neighborhood in Seattle called Capitol Hill, where I went to school for one year in college. And, uh, anyways, I wrote the song after that. And I think it's a great composition itself. And hopefully you like it as well. However, uh, the chord changes are pretty complicated. And I don't really think my solo is super great. I'll go ahead and play the whole thing up to the point where my, at the end of my, to the end of my solo. So there's going to be a sax solo in between. It'll give you some context for the song and what it's all about, anyways, rather than me just skipping ahead to my solo and giving you no context. Okay. So here it is, Capitol Hill. So we'll stop it there. Um, okay, so let's talk a bit about the solo and what I didn't like about it. Of course, outside of the fact that I, I don't like the guitar sound and that the guitar was a little out of tune, that's probably not... You should probably always tune your guitar a little better before you start recording session. Anyways, um, okay, so let's go over each one, one, two, and three. So number one, uh, arc in and in, in development. Really, to me, not a lot of arc and development and uh, building upon ideas in this solo. It sort of really felt like to me, like I was just trying to get past the changes, um, which we'll get to that. But it, I didn't really hear any growth. I think in the second chorus, you kind of heard me like start to try to play more notes. But that that doesn't more notes doesn't necessarily mean development, right? I mean, it can mean development, but they're not mutually exclusive. So um, I didn't feel... Like, I was really building. And yes, sometimes I was grabbing for chords and playing chords using my instrument to my advantage. But to be honest with you, um, just knowing myself, it sort of sounded to me like when I was playing chords, I'm really just filling in where I just don't really know what to play, where I'm sort of using it as a crutch rather than as a tool. Okay. So, this is what I'm hearing. Um, This is sort of what. I'm remembering and, and knowing about this song because the, the harmony is quite complex, which we'll, we'll get into. Um, okay, number two, technical proficiency. Now, this song is in 3-4, uh, and so you can kind of hear that for some reason I'm, I'm struggling to play... Well, over three four, uh, not for some reason. I think part of it is like I said, the chord changes are a little bit difficult. It's not one three six two fives, it's not two five ones. Um, there are some complicated chord changes here, but I'm not really locked into the time always. Sometimes I'm trying to play over the bar line stuff, but I don't necessarily think that it's quite coming together. And if I were to tell myself what to do next, it would really just spend a lot of time you know, taking small sections of this song and just playing eighth notes over top of it, just really locking in an eighth note feel and then really locking in a triplet feel, really locking in just playing quarter notes. You know, that's what I would probably work on to try to tighten that up a little bit. So I wasn't really hearing that I was always uh, clean. I certainly didn't feel comfortable opening up to playing faster lines. I didn't feel comfortable with any of that stuff. It sort of sounds like this entire solo, and this happens a lot in recording sessions. If you've never done a recording session before, is I'm uh, self-conscious and trying to play it safe because I'm scared about of playing a great solo over this song. Which, by the way, I mean that's fair enough, but you know, it's making me sound like I'm I'm scared, I'm holding back, I'm unsure of myself. That's what I was hearing. So that's number two with technical pr- proficiency and playing well in time. Now, number three is kind of the big one, I think, for this one, and that would be the harmonic maturity. I'm not hearing a lot of harmonic maturity here. That's because there are um, a lot of chord changes in here, especially... Um, especially in the second half I guess you, you I wouldn't call it the B section but uh, the second half of the song of the song form really there's a lot of chromatic movement there's this one section you can probably hear that has these descending and minor thirds and whole steps and half steps uh, minor seventh chords which and major seventh chords which is really weird it's but it, it sounds good in context. But it's really hard to solo over top. And if you can t- tell every single time, there's a saxophone player too a little bit, but you can tell every single time we got to that section, I was just grasping at straws. And you know, it sounded like I was just trying to hit some right notes during that period of time. I didn't really have command over that section. And, you know, you could you could really hear that come out every single time I hit that. It was just a lot of discomfort, a lot of not knowing exactly what to play, what to do. Um, and even on some of the more traditional pieces of harmony in there, um, I wasn't always hearing that there was some really confident, good lines outlining the chord changes very well. So yeah, a lot of work to be done on this um, for sure that I was hearing. So of course, just Critiquing yourself isn't enough when you're listening back to recordings that you either like or you or you don't like. What what would I do? So number one, I, I would work on like I already sort of uh, mentioned this uh, with the technical proficiency. I would work on really using subdivisions and taking a small chunks and just you know getting really comfortable with rhythmically playing over top of this song with the chord changes. That's that's what I would work on right away not the whole song format once either i would take small sections because the chord changes are difficult and just batch that together Um, then uh, the second thing that i would do is i would work on once again taking small sections and just not even playing in time just slowly working through those chord changes and composing as many different ideas as I could over top of those chord changes. So that particular heart section, I would just be figuring out every single way I can connect those chords together. Essentially mapping out that section. And mapping is a big, important thing. We're going to be talking about mapping a little bit uh, in uh, next week during the Jazz Blues Month, uh, because that's a big part of uh, the course that I'm developing. Um, But mapping is important because it makes you feel comfortable with navigating a set of chord changes and the many different ways you can connect them together, the different routes that you can take. So that's what I would do. And the last thing I would do is kind of once those first two things are together, then I can really start thinking more about, well, how do I actually develop musical ideas and create create great solos. So one practical exercise I can do is simply take one musical idea or a motif, as we call it, and just start taking that and using that over the entire form and just manipulating it and changing it a little bit. That's a really great exercise to do just to start developing solo ideas and start uh, forcing that into your jazz solo, so that when you actually do improvise, this stuff just becomes natural. It's just like talking, right? You have to practice what you're going to say, and then eventually you don't have to practice what you have, what you need to say. It just becomes a natural part of your life. You're able to just speak. Okay, so that was that solo, and you know that was <laughs> not my favorite solo. Not my, uh, you know, a little uncomfortable sharing it with you today. Um but that's okay. I mean, you know, we're not always going to take good solos. We're not always going to take great solos. Um even solos that I take today, not every solo I'm like, "Well, that was a home run," right? Sometimes I'm like, "Wow, what happened there? It's like I forgot everything I learned," you know? And that's okay. And and it's it's really about listening back and figuring out what went wrong and what you didn't like and going from there. And also of course you you want to be listening to the good stuff too and figuring out what did you actually like because that's the stuff that you want to keep playing and keep doing over and over again so i hope that this was helpful for you to hear my analysis of these two solos what i want you to do my call to action for you today is to do this is to try to record yourself often and frequently and find solos that you really like and find other ones that you don't like as much and really just analyze each one and see if you can't figure out what you like and what you don't like and what you can do to move forward and improve All right, that's all for today's show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I do appreciate you a lot. Hope you found this episode helpful today. And uh, listen, as I always ask, uh, if you enjoyed this show, if you enjoyed this episode, or if you've been listening for a while and you enjoyed this podcast in general, please go to iTunes and leave a five star rating review and just tell other people why you like this show. That really helps out. We're almost at 300 rating reviews on iTunes, which by the way, it's really hard to get that many reviews on iTunes. We're definitely the top jazz education podcast here. And so I really do uh, appreciate you and thanks for listening and uh, thanks for sharing the show with others. It's awesome. Like I said... Starting next week, we are diving deep into jazz blues month here on the LGS podcast where we're going to be talking all about the jazz blues, how important it is to master a jazz blues, how learning a jazz blues is going to propel your jazz playing forward in ways you never thought it could but probably a lot of things that you're missing about practicing a jazz blues to really master it and really get it. So subscribe to the show, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter.